welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan, and in preparation for winter in a three-part series on the Beef Edge, I'll be focusing on the topics nutrition, health and housing. On this episode, I'm joined by vet Cara Sheridan with MSD Animal Health to find out how to manage animal health over the winter. And I first asked Cara, in preparation for housing, what do you advise from an animal health point of view? So, Catherine, I suppose if there's anyone who's lucky enough that still has cattle out in the land, and I suppose that this weather is definitely going to um, minimise them, then um, what I would say is if your cattle are yet to be housed, just have a think about it. Are they actually ready for housing? So, especially with regards to first grazing season animals, so whether it's autumn-born calves from last year or spring-born calves from this year, to make sure that they're not carrying a worm burden going into the house. It's relevant for all ages of animals, but it's, it's, that can leave them especially vulnerable to, to lungworm. Um, and then, of course, lungworm will predispose them to, to, to pneumonia, which is the last thing we want. So are the cattle ready for housing? Because it is imminent. And then the other side of it is, are the sheds ready? Are the sheds ready for the cattle? And I know that might sound like a, a basic thing to ask, but just little things. Um, have they been washed? Have they been cleaned out since last year? If they haven't, you want to get a wriggle on. Um, water supply, water drinkers, anything that needs fixing to make sure it's, it's a lot easier to fix these things before the cattle are housed. So to make sure that the houses are ready for the cattle and to make sure then that the cattle are also ready if they're not already housed for housing. I suppose, Cara, once the stock are housed, in some cases where stock have been housed a couple of weeks, what do you advise? So if they're if they're at the point of housing, um, and again, the, the weather is going to play havoc with this, but you do your damnedest to, to try and get them in on a dry day. It does make a massive difference. Um, if they are already housed and just housed in the last few days, um, well, one big thing when they are housed first is to just to try and do everything, I suppose, as stress-free as possible. It makes a massive difference to, to man and beast, to be fair. Um, so to be well set up on the day of housing and also once they are housed, how are, how are your stocking rates? Are there too many in each pen are there just enough and it's not there there are a lot of rules and regulations for this and guidelines but like just the simple things is there enough feed barrier space is there enough room for every every animal in there to, to move around and lie down comfortably you know it comes it comes back to basics if there is if they have been housed and they're being divided into into pens of course and um, is there any bullying going on if there are it just especially in the first few days in, in the first week post housing that's when you kind of notice and um, if perhaps you may need to make a few adjustments and switch animals from from one pen to the next which can all of these things really help to to minimize the stress then from a from an animal health point of view is there any coughing going on are there any animals that you know aren't aren't well if they are the quicker you can act on an animal who doesn't look well to examine them and see what is wrong and um, you really are doing yourself and the animal a favour to see what is going on. If it's a case that you have sick animals, please just don't don't feel that you need to, oh, it's, it's probably pneumonia, it's probably this or that. It is worthwhile. This is a time when, when things can really go wrong, so it is worthwhile maybe getting the vet out to examine um, and to actually see what is going on. If there's a cough going on in the shed, and we mentioned, you know, if you haven't um, been able to dose pre-housing, then perhaps this is the time for, for dosing, especially from the, the lungworm point of view. From which dose to use and and when to use it or exactly how to use it, um, I to speak in broad categories, there are three different types of of dose for um, for worms. You have the white drench, you have the yellow, and then you have the macrocytic lactones, so the likes of your ivermectins. And um, depending on the product, depends really on what they treat and how they treat it and how long they treat it for. So if you have calves or yearlings that maybe had a, a dose back in 
you know, way back in the summertime, that dose has long since left their system and is, is no longer doing anything. And um, if you have animals that were dosed with ivermectins within the last month, then perhaps they're still undercover. So it, it is worthwhile just seeing what did you use um, and maybe do I need to consider a dose again? Something as well, which are so, so useful if they're used at the right time are um, fecal samples. And I suppose we have more exposure to them recently with the BPS scheme because we would have, from a from a suckless side of things, we would have been, been encouraged to use them. But they are really useful to check for worm egg counts. The only time you can get caught out with them is if you're in pre-patent period. When, and basically what that means is that animals have the worm burden and may not be may not be shedding. Or with lungworm, it may be difficult to find larvae. But from a from a standard gut worm point, um, they are really really useful. So don't don't underestimate them. They're not um, they're not just something to do. They can actually be really useful. You mentioned there the BPS scheme and the fluke samples that were taken of suckler cows. If farmers had fluke samples sent back before the 1st of October deadline and they showed that there was no fluke in the system, what advice have you for those farmers? Okay, so just a, a positive a positive and a negative, really what that means from the point of view of liver fluke and rumen fluke. Um, so liver fluke is, it, it's an awkward one to catch. So even though animals have liver fluke, they, they shed intermittently. So a negative Fecal sample does not mean that you definitely don't have have um, liver fluke or rumen fluke. It's they're easier if they have them, they will shed them. But on the flip side of that, just because they have rumen fluke in their dung doesn't mean that it's actually significant. And um, so from the, the liver fluke point of view, and it all depends when the samples were taken. Like you said, Catherine, the deadline was the 1st of October. And I do know um, from personal experience, that a lot of people would have taken them a hell of a lot earlier than that anyway. And. Um, it may be a case that it is worthwhile taking them again. If you had a positive, would means then that your your cows are carrying fluke, so it is worth dosing them. Now, again, if you are to, and it depends, have they clinical signs? In other words, are they scouring? Have they lost condition? Because you have an option here in that, do I treat them now for fluke? Or historically, what we would have been all used to is that you wait until animals are housed six to, six to eight weeks of a minimum before you would dose them for fluke. Um, so you make that call, have a chat with your vet to see, well, do I need to dose them now or do am I OK to wait? Or is it a case and we've had a very wet summer on and off and we've had, we've, you know, we've had warm temperatures as well, which parasites absolutely love. They've had a great summer. So it may be a case that you may need to fluke them now and you may need to fluke them again in, in two months time, depending on, on which product you, you choose to use. So just have that chat out with your vet, but don't um, fecal samples. They, they need to be interpreted with care. They're they're very useful, but you need to make sure that you just I suppose, don't hang your hat on them. A negative doesn't necessarily mean a negative and a positive doesn't necessarily mean you're in trouble either. Yes, and it's important to check the withdrawal dates on any of the products that's used either for the lungworm, gutworm or the fluke. Absolutely. If you're using them in cattle that are, are for fattening, yep, to make sure that you don't catch yourself out there. Um, and there are an array of products, you know, with different withdrawals. So there is generally an option um, there too. And just with, with if you are using porons, just to be careful that, um, especially with regards to withdrawal, that you, you want to make sure that um, animals that are for slaughter aren't in, in close contact with animals that maybe got a poron, because the last thing you want is that they, they would come in contact with that product accidentally because it's a poron. Yeah, and I suppose a lot of people will think of about the internal parasites, but when it comes to the case of lice, what do you recommend for treating stock at housing or post-housing? Yeah, so um, and lice is definitely going to going to be trouble. I mean, if you see it, we've had a lot of days there recently, and they're in in the mid teens temperature wise. And um, so lice are going to have a field day when cattle are housed. 
the reason light, I suppose, we normally think of it kind of as something that gives issues around Christmas time. It can give issues any time, especially once cattle are in close proximity, which is what they are when they're out. Um, as regards what to treat them with, so there's, broadly speaking, there's two types of lice. There's biting lice and sucking lice. So the sucking lice will be, they will be vulnerable and they, they can be killed by a product that is um, that is parental, so a product that you would inject. Um, whereas the biting lice, the ones that are, I always think of it, that they're they're very much on the surface. The only thing that is going to kill them is, a, is, is the likes of a pore on or a spot on, so something that's applied externally. And um, regardless of, of what you go treating with, I think it's really important that um, all animals in the shed are treated. It just doesn't work any other way. And don't expect as well to get away with one lice treatment in the winter. We have really mild, really damp winters. And so, you know, lice, they give trouble from the beginning of housing really right through and until um, early until let out. So you, it is common practice that animals would have to be treated more than once, maybe even more than twice for lice. And I suppose if, you're, if you want to hit the, both the biting and the sucking, a pour on or a spot on um, is your best option. That's great, Cara. And I suppose for farmers that are purchasing in cattle, how would their health plan differ when they don't know the previous health history of the animal? Yeah, it certainly makes it harder. And it is, it's the, the highest risk, I suppose, um, that, that we do deal with. And um, what you do, I mean, unless proven otherwise, and unless you have actual proof that animals have been either vaccinated or, or dosed, I think it's probably best and, and probably safest to presume that they haven't had anything. And from the point of view of, of buying in Wheelands, well, if they're balling that day, there's a really good chance they were weaned that day as well. So, you know, stress is at its absolute highest. Um, after any animal is bought in, regardless of, of age, I think the first the first 24 hours is just to let them settle. I would never go dosing, vaccinating, doing anything with them in that first 24 hours. Um, TLC goes a long way. So if it's an option to put them on a straw bed, even better, depending on when you buy them in and depending on, on weather and also facilities and setup if they can be in an environment where they can be in and out that is such a help from an ammonia point of view then from a, a dosing point of view so the the second day they're home the second full day they're home that's when you would you would be inclined to give them a dose and, and as we said Catherine we're presuming they haven't had anything so you are going to give them something specifically and um, lungworm is the, is the big risk I suppose from an ammonia point of view so if it's a case that you give them a, a, a dose there and then that's maybe just going to kill the worms that they have the, at that point and then you plan then on follow up in in a few months time of giving them or even in a few weeks time with giving them something that's going to be more comprehensive that's going to kill all I think it's it's very important to to treat them gently from a vaccination point of view then and again do nothing with them for the first 24 hours only and just show them a bit of kindness the 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 second full day they're home then is when you can start them on a a vaccination plan depending on whether you you go the intranasal route or whether you go with an an injectable and it is really it makes a massive difference to both them and to your own cattle as well if you could if it's possible to keep them isolated from the rest of the cattle until they are fully vaccinated until they've really settled in I mean the first two to three weeks can can be quite rocky as as many people will will have experienced before and by isolation I don't mean it has to be anything fancy but just a different airspace to your own cattle and I suppose that's important as well for the treatment of lice yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, you, you treat them as a sole entity. So so any any bought in, you, you really get. The last thing you want is for them to introduce anything to your cattle. But likewise, if there are diseases that are endemic in your own cattle. So, for instance, if you have IBR in the herd, which we know 75% of herds have, you, you don't want the, the bought in cattle to succumb to this when they meet yours. So if you can get them up and running on vaccination plans, 
dosing plans, life plans and everything um, before they meet your own cattle. It, it makes a huge difference. You mentioned earlier there the importance of dealing with an issue, whether it's an outbreak of pneumonia. Can you just step through what are the steps a farmer would take or what they should do? So if you have an outbreak of pneumonia, and I suppose what we mean by an outbreak is um, it, it doesn't have to be catastrophic. I suppose once I would see that cattle in the shed are getting pneumonia, I would consider that an outbreak. To, to act quick is, is a big thing. So as we said, treating the animal and to be able to treat them quick and, and to either get advice or get your vet out to check. There are different there are different viruses and there are different bacteria um, and throw lungworm into the mix that can cause pneumonia. So if you can find out exactly what's at the root of it, your treatment can be tailored and also then you can have a plan for the rest of the cattle. So for instance, if it is a case that it's lungworm behind a, a pneumonia outbreak in a shed, well then you can, antibiotics and everything else, yes, you are, you're treating the secondary problem, but you're not getting to the root of it. So vets can take nasal swabs, they can take bloods, even just clinical judgment can mean a lot because you can be sure that if they're seeing what they're seeing around the country, you know, um, they probably, a lot of the times, it's the same thing that they can be seeing in different yards. So Get the vet out to examine if you can isolate the sick animal. It means an awful lot for that animal, but it also means an awful lot for the shed and to reduce the spread because the impact that pneumonia can have, or even the threat of pneumonia in a shed can, you know, can be massive on, on thrive, not alone the amount of animals that can get sick. As well as that, I suppose it's to know what's normal and what's not normal. So in an ideal world, we would want no no cases of pneumonia at all. But let's be realistic, you know, these things do happen. But to, to know when you are in, in, in real trouble here. So from a mortality point of view, so a death rate, what, what would you be expecting to see? Well, as a as a rule, we all want to see less than two percent deaths at any at any given stage in, in farming. And we want to see none. But you certainly if you're if you're losing animals, it is really time to, to get help. And um, and then from a sickness point of view, if it is a case like we should all be aiming and it is in a time when we want to try and use less antibiotics and we're so well capable of doing this as well, with just a bit of planning. Um, and and forward thinking if we're treating any more than 10% of any animals at any given time there's something amiss here so if it's a case that you're going in and you're blanket treating everything everything in the shed um, it is overuse of antibiotics it's affecting their thrive if they're sick anyway um, and also it's it, it's maybe not the best approach so to, to act more in a preventative approach can be the way some vaccinations can kind of be used in the face of an outbreak others can't so that's something that you need to get advice on um, Something else as well, if you do lose animals, to make sure that they go for post-mortem. And I know it can be a, it can be a chore in the midst of this when things are, are going wrong in the yard to, to make a trip to the lab. But a post-mortem will tell you an awful lot about what's going on. And, um, you know, it's, it, it really is paramount if you lose animals, get them for a post-mortem. I think you hit on it there, Cara, from the point of view of putting a plan in place, in particular for even cows, calving from January, February onwards. What should farmers be considering for the plan for calving for next year? So um, to always have a plan, it, it makes a massive difference and it doesn't have to be fancy. It can just be um, a few scribbles on a, on a sheet or, or something in a notebook. Um, so any cows that are, are going to be calving down in January, February, and I mean, we're, we're you know, we're, we're early November now, so it's not terribly far away. Um, so, and I know there, there's been a, a podcast on, on nutrition and a lot of advice on that, but, but just briefly, I mean, six weeks away from, from calving, you need to be thinking about dry cow minerals. Um, if you're vaccinating them with a scarab vaccine, you need to make sure that that's in in time. So the, the vaccines would be um, for giving 12 to three weeks pre-calving. So these things can come around quite quick. And having a good plan in place now um, can mean that things will go, will definitely will go smoother in, in the new year. And I suppose it's learning as well from, um, from what has happened in previous times. So learning from last year to plan for now, for the housing season now, or also learning from the season that's 
we're just facing into to, to make a plan for next year. So if things have gone wrong at a particular point in time, be it if it's with calf scour or if it's with pneumonia at a certain age of animals, history does tend to repeat itself in, in given in individual yards because, you know, not, not a lot changes. So to learn from when things went wrong and to have a plan in place. So if you got pneumonia in the, in the young calves, is it a case that you need to get them vaccinated then as young calves? And um, if you got scour to, to vaccinate the cows pre-calving, and that's just in simple terms, hygiene makes a massive difference when we're, we're talking about scour. Um, so to make sure that the houses that were used last year, so the calving pens have been cleaned out, they're the most important from the point of view of hygiene and that they've been disinfected with the right disinfectants depending on what was there. Crypto, for instance, takes a particular disinfectant um, to kill it. Some great tips and advice, Cara. Thanks very much. Thanks, Stephanie. That's all for this week's episode. And my thanks to Cara for joining me on the show. Join me next week for the third part of the podcast series, Getting Winter Ready, when I'll be discussing best practice tips for housing requirements. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie, or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss the show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan, and thanks for listening.